Today I'm preaching a sermon that I've entitled The Fabulous Finale. And I want to begin by thanking the uh, parishioner this morning who was concerned that it was my last sermon here. <laughs> that one will be entitled, uh, Thank You, Bless You, See Ya. So look, look out if you see that one someday. But uh, that, today, the fabulous finale, we're talking about the end of the church calendar year. Today's the last Sunday in the church calendar. And uh, I want to talk about that just a bit. And I know we don't oftentimes stop and think about the whole sweep of the liturgical year and the calendar that we do in the church year. But I think it's good to just pause for a second on this day and think about the whole year for a moment. So the whole year will start next Sunday with Advent. And Advent is this season where we are trying to prepare for uh, the coming of Jesus originally, the incarnation at Christmas, also the coming at the end of time in his fullness of glory. And it also has a minor um, theme of repentance mixed up in it with it as well. And then we get to Christmas, which is the, the 12 days. I hope celebrated all 12, not just Christmas Eve, um, where we're celebrating this most fabulous moment of the incarnation where God takes on flesh. And then we come to the epiphany where we think about how his coming is not just for the Jews, but it's for all the world. That's part of what we think about doing that. And then we get into the first block of what's called ordinary time, which really means a time of just growth and just time of focusing in on that. It leads to Lent. And Lent, we do this season of repentance and walking with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. Then we get to Easter, and we're going to have these 50 days of celebrating Easter because the resurrection changes everything. And we have 50 days to take that on board. Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being given to all the church and to each of us. Trinity Sunday, the hardest day of the world to preach. <laughs> Followed again by ordinary time that goes back all the way around to Advent, mixed in with a couple of feasts, like All Saints and what have you. But that's the sweep of the, of the whole church calendar. But it all ends with this today, Christ the King. And it's meant to be a, sort of a capstone, sort of, if it will, of the, of the whole year. And I think it is very much a fabulous finale to the year because it's this day where we're going we're gonna to hold up Jesus and think about what it means that he's the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords over everything. And a little bit of history, this feast day is not very old. It's less than 100 years old. It came from our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters back, and it started in uh, 1925, Pope Pius XI, is the one that ushered it in. And it was a time when there were all these isms that were trying to relegate Christianity to a very small place, right? So you had atheism and secularism and communism and all these places telling the church, your belief system is a private thing and you need to put it over there. And the church was like, yeah, no, I don't think so. It's like Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords over everything. And that's what this day was, was planting the flag and saying, no, no, it's not just that he's king for some small group over here, but he's king of everything through all time. And that's kind of what, where the day goes. And if you listen to the, it had some tweaks through the, through, the, through the years, but if you look at the readings in the home stretch of, of the church calendar year, we get to the ones like we had last week that are all beginning to talk about the end of time. They're beginning to talk about the earthquakes and the tribulations that are coming. And they're all kind of teeing up sort of the end of the world kind of thing. And then you get this one that says, yeah, and here's Jesus who's over it all, throughout all time, throughout eternity. 
And that's kind of what, where the, the feast day is about and where it's going. And what I'd like to do this morning is try to go just meditate on just a few brief things about Christ the King that are things I think will impact our daily living. And the first one of these is we think about, um, as I was saying, these readings from uh, the end of the year where we think about sometimes Jesus is called the cosmic Lord of all, that he, this idea from our first reading that he's over everything throughout all time, I think ultimately brings us a message of hope. And the way I would say that is, you know, we live, we will admit and own straight up that we live in a very broken world, right? That we all suffer. We all have broken relationships, um, different things that go wrong that way. We all have um, the brokenness of pain in life, of losing a companion or losing somebody we love. We, there are just, we can go on and on about how broken the world is. We have poverty. We have the different things around the world that are just broken. And part of this is thinking about this day when Jesus in his kingship over all, when everything is made right. When we think about this image of the, his kingdom and the fullness of its glory and how different it'll be, it, to me, it's a word of hope. So on the darkest days when we're facing the hardest things in the midst of sort of the, the shattered glass of life at times, to think about him in this fullness of his glory, I think, is a, is a word of hope. And we think about some of the passages of Scripture. We know there's a day coming when every knee is going to bow, when he's it's not going to be king for this group or that group. Every knee in heaven and earth is going to bow to him. Or we think about Revelation, that passage that is read um, at different places where, where it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no, no more death, mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things will have passed away completely. That's where he'll be reigning in his fullness. That's when we'll understand and see it carried out that way. And to me, that's so when I think about Christ the King, I think one, one practical element of it is to pack it away in your sort of your toolkit for the darkest days to think about, well, this, is, this isn't the last word and it's not the final thing that the fullness of his glory and his kingship, his kingdom is going to be known. Right. And the second part is we begin to think about what it means that, uh, from there, right? Cause we don't have that much experience with royalty. I mean, we maybe watch the Royal wedding or what have you, but we don't think that much about how all this stuff works, but we know this much, right? If there's a king, there's probably a kingdom, right? And so it's turning to a minute to think about the practicality of this, what it means that there's a kingdom. And it's very, very different than the kind of ways we might view um, kingship in other places or monarchies in other places. It's not just a supplanting of a civil leader. It's not just a regime change. It's something completely, completely different. In the early church... They used to talk about how Christ is Lord. It was a way of, of sort of owning the messianic kingship. And if what they had meant was just we're taking Caesar and putting somebody else there, they wouldn't really have to change much. Like you could go on with business as usual. It just means there's a different leader at the top. It didn't, wouldn't mean a lot of other stuff. But that's not what Jesus was advocating. That's not what he was ushering in. That's not what he was heralding. The kind of kingship he brings in changes everything, paradigm shift kind of stuff. It changes how we relate with one another. 
It changes how we relate with God. It changes the rules. It changes our priorities. It changes our principles. It, it's a way of changing the whole power structure. It's a way of inviting us into a whole nother realm is ultimately what it's about as we think about his kingdom. And it's not, it's not a revolution. You think about the word revolution, it usually means the people on top are put down, the people who are on the bottom go to the top, and then they carry on from there. It's not that. It's, it's a complete power shift in ways we don't expect that are different. And I think our gospel lesson today is an example of that. Now, I'm sure the lectionary writers today chose this passage in part because it mentions Jesus as king in a couple of different ways. You know, the sign over him and people are mocking him, calling him that he's the king of the Jews. Why don't you save yourself and all this? But there's a whole lot more, I think, in it that reflects this incredible shift of what it means that he's the king in this different kind of way, right? So Jesus is on the cross between these two thieves. And one of the thieves joins in with the guards who are mocking Jesus, saying, if you're the king, save yourself. If you're the Messiah, save yourself, all this kind of stuff. And the other one intervenes and says, wait a minute, we're up here because we deserve to be here. He's not, you know, lay off him. Okay, a little translation there. But, um, and then he asks him, I think it's interesting what this thief asks him because he, he doesn't ask him to be rescued. He doesn't ask him for revenge on whoever's put him there. He just simply asks to be remembered. Don't forget me. And Jesus gives him way more than he asked for. Because in the end, he tells him, on this very day, you're going to be with me in paradise. And this is, there's a whole sermon right there for sure, like right on that thing. No baptism, no catechism, no training. Didn't, you're in, man. Just right there. He repents and he owns it and he recognizes Jesus and that's it. And I, to me, it's as simple as you get with that moment on the cross. But I think it says something powerful about what kind of king Jesus is. We begin to ask, he's king of king and lords of lords. What kind of king is he? Well, he's a king that doesn't meet the expectations of the world. We see that on this day. He's a king that sees worth in people in a way that others don't. He's a king that has a longer view of justice as he deals with this guy. He's a king that isn't content to be far off, but draws near enters into the pain, enters into the moment, enters into all of this. He's a king that seeks to embrace all. And he's a king that invites each of us to come and to not only acknowledge him as king, but to begin to see his kingdom today. And I think that's part of it. To me, the practical side of today is also a moment to stop and not just think about Jesus as king, but to think about his kingdom. That this kingdom has already started. Now it's not in its fullness. We live in this in-between times, but Jesus started to bring this kingdom in by his teaching and his preaching. And then it's ultimately made manifest by his life, death, and resurrection. And we live in this, what people call the in-between times. We begin to see his kingdom breaking in, but not in its fullness. And it's a bit awkward, I think, because we live in this tension and we don't like it, to be honest. But we, we live in this time where we begin to see what his kingdom is about. What the priorities of it are about. How the power works. We begin to see what it is to be called into a deeper place of love. But we also still live in a world that's broken. 
where we don't see the fullness of all this manifested. We don't, so we live in this tension and we oftentimes don't want to live in the tension. So we either want to say it hasn't really started or sometimes people want to go super spiritual and say, it's, well, it's, it's all here, but it's all spiritual. And it's not that. We're invited, I think, to live in the tension. And part of it is recognizing while we live in this life, our laws and ways of doing life on this planet are not going to lead ultimately to full shalom, not to the full wholeness and peace. But we've tasted it and seen his kingdom enough to know we'll never be satisfied without pushing for it. And so we go on. And if we lean into it, if we make Jesus the king of our lives, it will change how we see everything. We will no longer see our faith as a private thing, but we'll begin to see how we have to serve our neighbors here and around the world. We'll begin to see that we can't just sing these songs about um, God's majesty without thinking about the whole world. We'll begin to see that we, we can't handle our money as if it were ours and belonged to us rather than being entrusted to us. We'll begin to see that uh, we can't think about God's kingdom as being something way out, way out in the future, but it's something that we're beginning to see something of it now and working for its fullness now. It's part of what we do. So ultimately, this all come, brings back to this. Um, are we going to accept Jesus as our king in our own lives? And I want to put two things out there as you think about this. Um, I'll end with this, but I think there are two principles in our spiritual lives that that are there every single day. One of which was said by a theologian last century who said that the line between good and evil runs through every heart. And I'm going to add it runs through every heart every day. You have to decide every day that you're going to choose the good. And if this line of good and evil runs through every heart every day, it means you don't get like, like that's for everybody. That's for the clergy. Clergy still fall. Don't look at us to be perfect. You know, everybody has good and evil through their heart every day. I always love the way that the, if you ever schedule for a confession in the church, I always like to use the right one version in the prayer book. And the thing I love most about the right one version is that at the very end of it, after the person's done confession, They've gotten their, they've received absolution. The very last words that get said in the whole service are by the priest. And he tells the, the penitent, go and pray for me, a sinner. Because I think that's the way, the way it is. We're all, we all struggle with that every day. That's part of what it is. And I think we have to be mindful of, with, of that. And what goes along with that, I think, is that every day we have to choose the good. And we have to choose every day that we're going to put Jesus on the throne of our lives. And I've said it before when we've done the instructive Eucharist, but um, one of the symbolisms that we have in the church is, is allegedly putting your hands together to receive um, the sacrament is making a throne. And the symbolism is that Christ is being put on the throne of your life as you receive it. But to me, that's the challenge that we face every day of whether we're going to do that, right? C.S. Lewis used to, used to write that the very first task of the day was when you woke up and we wake up in the morning that all these desires and ambitions of the world were going to run at you like wild animals. That's how he described it. And the first act of the day is to push all that away and to get basically grounded back um, with where God is. Or I think about people who, some of the heroes I've known of the faith um, in time made it part of their daily practice to surrender. 
John Wesley had a prayer of surrender he did every day. Or I think about Blaise Pascal, the great scientist for, if you know the metric system, the guy who, who the unit of pressure is named for, the Pascal, um, was a fantastic Christian. And he had this second conversion. And after he converted, he wanted part of his uh, surrender every day to be right there with him. So he took the inside of his jacket and had a note embroidered on the inside that part of that note talks about his surrender to Christ every day. And it was, it was actually a pretty long thing. So I, I imagine when he got into a questionable moment or something, he's looking like this. But, um, but the point is, he's surrendering every day. I want to end uh, getting you to think about that, where you are. Is it, have you ever surrendered fully to God and said, I'm all in? Or have you done it today? Because I think that's part of the thing. We have to do it every day. And I want to end with a quote from Pope Pius XI, the one who started this feast day. And just think about his words, and I'm gonna en I'll end with this. He says this, If to Christ our Lord is given all power in heaven and on earth, if all humans purchased by his precious blood are by new rights subject to his dominion, if this power embraces all humans... It must be clear that not one of our faculties is exempt from his empire. He must reign in our minds. Are we willing to let him reign in our minds? He must reign in our wills, which should obey the laws and precepts of God. Will we surrender our wills? He must reign in our hearts, which should spurn natural desires and love God above all things and cling to him alone. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you call us on this journey. And Lord, we ask that each day that by your grace that you would help us to surrender and to receive from you. That we may know the fullness of your peace and your glory, that we may work in this time for the fullness of your kingdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.